The following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since TMC, uh, Sammy and Willie, raised by gypsies, and here we are <laughs> on the GGTMC. A proper recording of the GGTMC. People mark this down. It's been a long time since we did a standard recording. <laughs> and then even the fact that I think both of us are on the show two weeks in a row. <laughs> I know. Write it down. Seriously. This is this is uh-huh. a big deal. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. The, the glue and popsicle sticks uh, gets thrown <laughs> to the wayside this week. Yes, for once. You're having coffee. I'm having ale. So it's nice. a little that's a little bit of a dichotomy, but other than that, everything is normal. Yes. All right, so we are back. This is episode, I believe, one fifty nine. I believe that is correct. And uh, yeah, so this week we're covering Memphis Heat, which is a little our music from the intro is a little inspired. We'll hit me up with an email. Perfect choice. I happen to be a huge fan of that wrestler anyway. So actually, he's my favorite Memphis wrestler next to Austin Idol, probably. So nice. That I didn't was, know that. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, I love the. Well, I always knew him as the Boogie Woogie Man. So you know, I, I love that guy. <laughs> but anyway, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. We're going to be covering uh, Memphis Heat, which is a documentary of 2011, 
we got the uh, we were contacted by either the agent or the director. I can't remember. Uh, I want to say it was yeah the promotional agent for the documentary. This was a long time ago. We've been sitting on this for a while, um, and uh, we hit them back and, and said, "This is you know yeah we'd love to do it, and, and this is why we, we you know we're glad you contacted us because this is why we're a good fit for you." And they sent us both both uh, a copy of the disc, which is just a fantastic disc. Right. So it's called Memphis Heat. The uh, what is it? The the story of Memphis wrestling. The Rasslin? true story of Memphis wrestling. Yeah, wrestling. <laughs> so. Uh, directed by Chad Schaeffler, I'm going to say. Yeah, name. Schaeffler or Schaeffler. So this is a new film. came out this year, so uh, released a DVD. I don't think it got much of a theatrical run. But anyway, that's what we're going to be discussing in the review. Uh, and we're also going to try to tackle as much feedback as we possibly can. Hopefully we can get it all. Do not know. We'll see. But we're going to get a good chunk of it today either way. It's been a long time coming. With that being said, Large William, what have you been watching? <laughs> Not much, man. I thought I was going to pump off, you know, get get a good weekend, and I didn't really get a good weekend. Um, I do want to say, though, I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but um, I did watch Beat Street. Did I tell you? I don't think I mentioned that. Well, you don't have to tell me. I just assume you watch Beat Street every week. <laughs> I live Beat Street, brother. I keep well, the cardboard well, in the Dougie trunk. Fresh, man. Give me a... <laughs> Exactly, exactly, man. So um, I rewatched it. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, and it was on Netflix Instant, and I was in the mood. I came from work late one night, threw it on. It's really good. I don't think it's the greatest of the breakdancing films, but I just I love that era. I know you do, too. Yeah, I, I think yeah. there's an innocence to it. Um, it's probably the one era I feel the most nostalgia for. Oh, me too, me yeah. too, because I was young then. I mean, and I really... Yeah. You know, idealized all that stuff because you know I didn't quite understand it, but I, I, you know, I like I've said on the show a few times, I would always break dance. Right. Whenever my grandmother would come visit, you know, it, it just things that, that that I remember about that era because it's when I was a young young boy, and that's when the world kind of when I my eyes started open. I didn't understand things, but I knew things were happening. And, right. Right. And break dancing and Adidas track suits and uh, fuzzy Kangol hats were some of those things. So, <laughs> but no, it's it's good. I would highly recommend everyone check it out. Um, also watched, uh, and I didn't mention this. Uh, and I'm glad I get to mention it to you. I watched Next, the uh, the Nick Cage film. Oh, yeah, that's right. You didn't mention that. Yeah. I'll just <laughs> I go ahead and save you this. Just save this for you and just say Next. What did you watch Next? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It was pretty bad. I didn't mind it at the beginning. Like, I thought there was some well choreographed stuff like this stuff when he's eluding the security guards at the casino at the opening. Yeah. It's got, a, it's well got a good choreographed. Pre- there's, a good, there's a good premise to the film. There is. The problem is a premise like that because it's so high concept. You get into territory where you have to just stop saying, well, why didn't he predict that? Or why didn't he predict this? Yeah, exactly. Um, but some of that early stuff almost felt like Jacques Tati or something, like the way he was eluding <laughs> wow. eluding the uh, the security guards just kind of very, through just picking up a hat or bending over. And, you know, that was kind of cool. But, yeah, it did really fall apart very, very quickly. And, and I, I'm growing to dislike Jessica Biel. Yeah, so. yeah. I know I am too. What's up with that, you know? I don't know, man. I used to really like her. I thought she was cool. But. I still really like her in Summer Catch, that Freddie Prinze movie, but I just don't really... And I, yeah, just, I, I just admitted on the air that I like that film, so I don't care. Yeah, I remember you told me that. That was one of your guilty pleasures. Um, yes. But uh, you know, yeah, let's just say this. The GGTMC may be the only show on the podcast, maybe the only show on podcast in the podcast world that compares Tati and uh, Dominic Sinna and Next. from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true, man. That's very true. But that's us, so you know, we wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I did squeeze three in this week outside of Memphis Heat. Uh, it was three pretty interesting films. Uh, one was a rewatch. Two were... Um, not the first one was a documentary, Kiss the Moon. It's about um, transgenders and transvestites living in Pakistan. Um, 
Hmm. And there's a bit of an interesting history there with them uh, because they perform ceremonial dances at weddings and uh, when boys are born into the world, it's considered a blessing for them to dance and perform for the family and stuff. But still, I mean, they're a marginalized society. So it was an interesting documentary, not great, but... Um, you know, just to see a part of the world that I don't get to see very often and uh, and to see that. I, I, I have a, a bit of a, an allure, and this sounds terrible, so <laughs> I don't mean it to. I, I like watching documentaries about people that are marginalized like that uh, because I think it's interesting. And it's always very sad and very poignant, but yeah, I, I like to see how people, they cope with, with the obstacles that society throws at them. Just everyday things, like going to the store, mm-hmm. people get ridiculed. And I think it's very fascinating to see how different people respond to that. I agree with that. And uh, I believe everybody can relate to it in some way because there's something in almost everybody's lives where they're marginalized on something. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I totally into that. Whoa. That person hasn't called me in a long time. It's okay. I'll have to hit that up later. But no, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, you can see that. And it is, like I said, it's sad. And, you know, but you like to see the little victories these people get. So, uh, yeah, so it was good. You know, if you can check it out, it's called Kiss the Moon. Uh, next up was a rewatch. My wife had never seen Midnight Express. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I was talk- DVD. Sorry about that. I was talking to my wife while you were talking. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, no I turned down, so hopefully you didn't hear any of it. So there we go. Nope, didn't hear any of it. Okay. <laughs> uh, my wife has never seen Midnight Express, so we threw that on. Because uh, I figured she'd like it. I bought it at Big Lots for $3. Oh, nice. Yes. So, uh, the Big Lots you know, Hall, yes. Yeah, man. Represent. I'll be throwing a few more out there lately at Cabaret and a few others. Um but Midnight Express is one I haven't seen since I was younger. Uh, I like the film. I would say under scrutiny now, there's moments where it feels like a flawed film. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Brad Davis? Is that his name? Yeah. He's good in it. But there's a few moments when he's emotionally vulnerable uh, that, that expose him a little bit as far as his limitations go. But still a very good film. Um, and it's uncanny how much he looks like a combination of uh, Brad Pitt and Guy Pierce. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> now the now the guy Pierce has kind of came onto the scene. You're right. Yeah, he does really have that. I, I really I like Randy Quaid in that film. Yeah, and I like, uh, of course, uh, one of my favorite characters there, Paul Smith. I believe he's in that film. So, yeah, the big, yeah, no, it is a very guy. good film, definitely. But I, I guess they're just under scrutiny. I felt like some of the stuff felt a bit flawed to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's written by Oliver Stone, and it really feels like it's written by Oliver Stone. Yes. In, in retrospect, especially now that we, you know, everybody's very aware of Stone. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and last up, um, I'm not going to talk too much about it because you will hear about it later on. I watched The Tree of Life finally. Oh, nice. Nice. I saved it for my birthday. Um, I'm still trying to work through in my head <laughs> how I feel about it. You're still processing. Yeah, okay. Still processing it. It's it's an enormous film. Um, of a few things I can say definitively, I do think it's an incredible film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think it has its flaws. Um, I have to wrestle with my own head and, I guess, my heart how those flaws are going to factor into how how I rank the film in the end. Um, I do think the dinosaur stuff, absolutely, it looks better than I expected it to, but to me it has no business in the film. Yeah. <laughs> because I think there's enough universality in, in the day-to-day lives of the people in the film and how that relates to everyone in the world that you don't need to harken back to the Jurassic era or the, I don't know, thoracic? No, that's not even, that's not even, not even an era. Yeah. There goes my, my my fake paleontology degree out the window. Yeah, like um, Randy Quaid, I got stabbed in the ASIC. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. That's I forgot about the ass stabbing um, at the, in the prison yard there. When, oh, uh, yeah, he does a little voiceover and he gets joked in the ass. Yeah, oh, that hurts, man. Everyone does. I guess below the waist, they say is uh, yeah, it's fine. But uh, you know, Tree of Life, it is it is a masterpiece. I'll say that it's a bit of a flawed masterpiece. 
some of the greatest imagery I've ever seen put to film. And then I'll leave it at that for now because it, it will come up on our year-end show. Yeah, and I really, really am curious. Yeah, you know, and I think it goes without saying you have to see it before we do the year-end show. Obviously, I will. Right now, I'm really working through everything that I've heard. Is I still got to watch Hannah, and I'm, I'm starting. I'm starting the process. I'm starting. We're in November and December now, so now I'm starting the process. Luckily, yeah, we we give ourselves an extra month. I'm th- I'm thankful for that. Oh, me too, man. I got like Senna. I got Coldfish to go through. I oh, that's got, right. That's um, right. You still haven't Bellflower. Seen, you know what? I haven't seen Coldfish yet either. That's another one I got on back burner. I got to squeeze that, and I got to look into a lot of the Hong Kong and Asian releases this year to see what's worthwhile. If anyone has anything from this year from Asia or around the world, they think that we should cover. Shoot us a message on Facebook or uh, just a private email to say, hey, guys, you know, if you're doing your year-end show, you should check this or this out. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's out on DVD or Blu-ray or it's out there, as yeah. they say. We're, yeah, we're always down for suggestions. So if you think we're going to maybe miss something, uh, try to shoot it our way. We don't have to read it on the show or anything. Just be private message. Yeah, whatever. and the odds of us missing something this year are higher than ever because we're both jammed up pretty good. So yeah, or if you, you, you want to you know, broadcast it, you can just put it on the Facebook group, which yeah. is you know, really good. Yeah, so definitely. Everybody can share yeah. in the fun. All right, I only watched two things. Uh, I figured that was the end, so, you know, I'm kind of cutting in here. Uh, I only watched two things. I watched uh, YouTube streams free movies. Uh, I don't know. They don't have much of a selection. Uh, but, you know, I had some downtime and stuff, so I screened Vampire for myself, the Carl Theodore Dreyer film. The Alex uh, Ladd film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Alex Ladd mad scientist doctor film, yeah. Uh, wow, did I say his name? Uh, well, maybe, I guess everybody knows his name by this point. <laughs> I think so. Um, but anyway, I watched that. So uh, that was a great experience. I mean, it's only a 73-minute film. It's, it's, uh, it is, I don't consider it like an ultimate masterpiece, but I will say, and I've said this a thousand times uh, to people. I don't know if I've ever said it on this show, but the Germans got vampirism right. Whereas yes, I, I never really have felt like Americans really have ever gotten it right. So maybe some things. I do like Near Dark a lot, and I do like a few other things. I'll even defend 30 Days of Night for what, for what it is. but Yeah, me too, man. Me too. But uh, I just feel like, you know, the Germans got vampire. You know, Nosferatu in, in this film, they just got it right. I'm hoping Dreyer's a German and <laughs> not some other. I think he might be Austrian, but I think you're in that, that realm of, yes. of <laughs> especially <laughs> his aesthetic and everything would have been informed by German film anyway. Mm-hmm. And it still really holds up the style of the film. You know, he's just, mm-hmm. he was a stylist and a great filmmaker, and it's amazing all these years later how film can hold up. So that tells yeah. you, you know, talent has a lot to do. The only other thing I watched was X-Men First Class. I will say it's the best superhero film I've seen this year. Yes. And uh, it's not bad. It, it meanders a little bit too much toward the back end. I, I really, agree. Once, once I get to the battleship scenes, with, although it was great to see Michael Ironside, uh, once I started getting into that territory, I was like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, I didn't really care yeah. anymore. But but all that being said, it's a, it's a solid, like, 7 out of 10. It's a really good fit. It's a, it's a good, uh, solid comic book film. It's not, not bad. I know. I think it's good too. The performances are great. I think some of the stuff, some of the stuff was a bit miscast with some, some of the throwaway uh, mutants. But but yeah. no, I, yeah, I think it was it was good for uh, for a superhero film. I'm going to get in Cap before the year's out. I think I seem to see the one a lot of people like. Did you see Captain America yet? I have not. I still got that one to go through, and uh, seems like there's one more I want to do. But uh, yeah, I haven't seen Captain America yet. That's next, and on the comic book hero docket, that one is next for me. So we'll see how that goes. Don't have a whole lot of excitement for it because I'm I'm hit or miss with Joe Johnston, so we'll see, yeah. we'll see what happens. But uh, that is all we've watched, so that is everything there. Um, okay, do, do you want to take a break or you just want to roll into this film? Let's what do you roll. Want? We can roll if you want, man. All right, we'll just uh, roll into the film here. Let me synopsis. I'll let you take the lead on this because I have a childhood affection for Memphis Heat wrest- or Memphis wrestling, so mm-hmm. I'm more okay. interested because I, I don't think this is a promotion. Obviously, you watched growing up because mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been available up there. So 
That's right, exactly. So uh, I'm more interested to see what your intake is on the, or your take on this is than mine because I got. always sound like Zom, the urine take. <laughs> yeah, the urine give and the urine take. Yeah. This was, I would just help my wife get the groceries out and uh, spilled milk when the milk fell out of the back of the uh, SUV. And yeah. It went all over the driveway, but that reminds me of how excited I was when I met Zom at the parking lot in Horhound. <laughs> exactly. I was, yeah. I was spilling milk left and right. <laughs> no, uh, okay, so uh, Memphis Heat, uh, the true story of Memphis wrestling. Uh, it's a documentary about the history of Memphis wrestling from the 50s with the uh, legendary battles between Sputnik Moreau and Billy Wicks through the 60s with Strutt and Jackie Fargo, the glory days of the 70s with Jerry the King Lawler, Tojo Yamamoto, superstar Bill Dundee. Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Valiant, the Boogie Woogie Man, many, many more. Austin Idol, Hulk Hogan, Brutus Beefcake—all these, a lot of, a lot of these guys came through this, this promotion. So, Lord William, I'm interested to hear. I don't know. I don't have any idea how, what you think about this film. So, uh, I'm interested to hear what you think. So, let's go. Yeah, I, I was interested to see it too. When they first contacted us, I said this will be interesting. You know, I, I was a huge wrestling fan growing up. Being in Canada, though, we were restricted as to what we had. We didn't get any of this stuff. I mean, I'm sure, much like the tape training days with movies, uh, if I had a bit... Whoa, she's <laughs> dropping in everything. Whoa, aviators. Yeah. Suplex. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. Um, but this was a promotion that I didn't get to see. I was a, an, a, a pretty much a subscriber to PWI, which, of course, is Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Um, so I knew a lot of these names. Mind you, a lot of these names were just before my time because, for me, wrestling was 84 to about 2001. Okay. So a lot of these names were uh, were names that were just before my time, and I knew them just to sort of read about them. And I knew the Memphis stuff and, and Smoky Mountain Wrestling and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff, mostly through reading about it in PWI and other wrestling magazines. But, um, right. yeah, so it, very, very curious to see how this would look compared to the stuff I grew up with, which was obviously WWF and, and whatnot. Um and I do think, as an aside, this is a doc that, that the Silver and Gold guys should cover because this is really in their wheelhouse, too. There's a huge, re- as much as we're big wrestling fans, yeah. I think those two are even bigger wrestling fans. Well, not only that, but Zom has like a insane amount of knowledge about this period and the uh, preceding decades before it. Uh, we, oh, were, yeah. we mean him were actually talking a uh, message on Facebook today. We were talking back and forth about Jackie Fargo and the Fargo brothers and, and all that stuff and everything else. And he was telling me a lot of stuff that this documentary doesn't cover. It should be said this documentary is only 90 minutes long, so it doesn't cover the entire history, which would be just a gigantically, you know, insane long documentary. But it just covers a big chunk of it and kind of gives you the history of the uh, promotion and stuff. But, yeah, Zom knows so much about this stuff. Oh, yeah. He, he so told me a few stories because I left him a voicemail last night saying it's Sputnik Monroe. Give me a call. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he called me telling me these amazing stories about Sputnik and expanded <laughs> on some of the stuff they talked about in the doc. And, and yeah, they, I think they should – I told Alex they should crack to these guys and get a, get a few discs sent to them because they'll, they'll really be able to dig into it too. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a documentary. I can guarantee it's a documentary Alex would like. The Loaf would like this documentary. Oh, for sure. I, and I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think anyone that listens to our show, mm-hmm. if you like wrestling, you will absolutely love this documentary. Or if, yeah. or, or if, if you have liked wrestling, like a lot of people yes, out of yes. it now. Let's say that. And I think, and I'm going to take it one step further. Even if you don't have any interesting in wrestling, interest in wrestling, but you love our show, that means you like the aesthetic and, and a lot of the stuff, the iconography that, that we associate <laughs> ourselves with. You will love this documentary because I think the mark of a, a really good documentary, and I'm going to come out and say this is a really good documentary, yep. is the fact that it can be about something that you don't really have an interest in outside of the documentary, but it's presented in such an interesting way right. and a colorful way um, that 
you will become interested in the subject matter, and that's one of those. This is one of those documentaries, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm pretty much in agreement with you. I'll kind of obviously I'll pontificate a little bit more after you're done, but yes. And it should right. be said, yeah, the gentleman's got a midnight cinema. Just look at just see this film and look at Jackie Fargo's outfit in his 80s, and he's very GGTMC yeah. with the satin shirt and the gold watch. Yeah, and the hair, man. <laughs> yeah. He's good to go still. Jackie Fargo's still bringing it, man. And Jerry Lawler must have, like, the greatest Botox doctor. That guy has not – he looks better now yeah. than he did when he, he was young. 20 years ago. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I was thinking that, too. I didn't write that down, but I was absolutely thinking that. Yeah. Um, and I think, too, with this documentary, you're going to get the bang for your buck. Just very quickly, you're getting over four hours of, uh, of extras, highlights, interviews, bonus interviews. Matches matches, uh, just all sorts of stuff. So I don't know what this is retailing for. Even if it's 20, 22 bucks, it's worth a buy. I'm going to come out and say that right now. It's definitely worth a buy. Um, so the film opens up with uh, with superstar Bill Dundee, and he, he says, you know, nowadays they don't know what heat is. Yeah. I've had all four tires on my car slashed, broken <laughs> bottles thrown at me. I mean, holy fuck, man. It's, it's, you kind of get a sense right away that – because they, they do a great thing. And I think – I'll tell you, I think this documentary – if in the right hands, and I think the filmmaker constitutes or, or would be classified as the right hands, mm-hmm. um, they could have turned this into like a, like a six-part little mini-series where the, you know, they, could, they could have spent an hour and a half just on like the Carney 40s circuit and, you know what I mean, kind of go up decade by decade almost and spend an hour and a half. I think there's enough material here to do that. I really do. Yeah. The, just, the, just the knowledge – okay, so – let me let me throw this out there because this is the thing about territories. A lot of people probably don't know about territories. If you don't know about territories, here's the thing. What they would do was because they were territorial, they could really live with it. You didn't have TV pumping all this stuff off, right? You didn't have like uh, the, the paparazzi media or any of these things. Like nowadays, we know that The Rock is playing a character. We know that Hulk Hogan's playing a character. We know that. But back in these days when I was growing up, I really thought Austin Idol hated Jerry Lawler and Jerry Lawler burned his face off. <laughs> <laughs> because they didn't give us any of that info. There was no internet. There was only magazines, which just furthered the myth. Yes. If these guys were in the same town and people saw them in public, they would get in fights in public to keep oh, yeah. that, to keep that myth going. Yeah. So that's 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 this, that's what the wrestling that I grew up with. So this is why it's always been very special to me. Because I'll be honest with you, when I was a kid, I thought it was real. Oh, oh I think we all did, and I think this was our first uh, for a lot of our, a lot of boys. Our first look at the notion of masculinity through sort of these these spandexed, colorful gods. I mean, yeah, yeah. This, this really superheroes think, and villains, basically. superheroes and villains, and and you know the, the high drama of it all at a young age. I think is really something to behold. Um, and I can't even imagine how this would take you back because when they were talking about, yeah, we used to go to Louisville all the time. And I'm thinking, man. You know, this was this was really your promotion at the time. Yeah, it was uh, every Tuesday night, man. Tuesday night, Louisville Gardens uh, downtown. Lawler and them would come to town, man. Kaufman was here. Andy Kaufman was here. All that stuff. All those guys you saw, except maybe the older wrestlers, the really yeah. older, like Sputnik Moreau. Obviously, I never saw him wrestle. But Lawler, Austin Idol, Rick Rude came through there. I'm pretty sure of that. I saw Hogan and Beefcake before they were Hogan and Beefcake. I saw all of these guys. They all came through, man. And uh, the guy was cutting his, that uh, that uh, guy that was the mad uh, lumberjack. I forget his name. He's French name. Oh, Joel LaDuke, yeah. Yeah, Joel LaDuke. Yeah, I saw him all the time. I used to love watching him because he was crazy. Terry Funk. Oh, he was. I saw several hundred times, it seemed. You know, we could go down We could go down to Louisville Gardens and watch wrestling. My dad could take us down there. We could go down there for like, you know, ten bucks. Three people. Wow. And you could, you know, my dad could smoke and drink. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we could, you know, chill and, and, and we got into these superheroes. It was amazing. The only thing I regret about it looking back is 
uh, the cigarette smoke was awful because you know how if you're in a room with a lot of smoke, your eyes start to really get irritated after a while. Yeah, that's really bad. And of course, you know I'm a kid, so I'm not smoking, so I can't even. I can't. I hated it. But also, the other part was it smelled like a gym, and this is a pretty big auditorium. But it's still because of all the wrestling sweat and everything else. And I think they use the same mat, the same canvas <laughs> all the time, man. Because I could swear I'd, me and my brother would go week after week and we'd see the stains. And the stains would still be there the next week. So that probably gave off this odor of this real gym rat. Uh, and if you guys have ever visited a gym or been in a high school gymnasium, you know what I'm talking about, the locker room. It has a certain odor. The men's room, the men's locker room always has this certain funk to it not to use a you know not to be using a pun for terry funk's name but there's a certain smell that it had you know but yeah these guys were great man they were superheroes and lawler was like lawler was and for me and my friends and my brother and us growing up lawler was as big as elvis presley in 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 the city of Louisville. and that's so strange to me because you know to me lawler's the buffoon commentator that wore the imperial margarine crown on his head yeah yeah do you have that in the states, Imperial Margarine? No, uh, we have. Yeah, you know what? I think we do. I think we do. We don't yeah, use margarine the, the much, but I think we do. The crown, much like the Lawler crown. So, <laughs> I know him as a buffoon, and I knew he had a history, especially now that I've gotten older and know a little more. But to see him in action in this was really fascinating for me to see him work it and to see that he really was, you know, like you said, the king. For me, to you to say it to me really says something that, you know, you your childhood has a completely different uh, notion of what Jerry the King Lawler was. Yeah, and what we were talking about when we were up in Horham, we were talking about, like, you know, you see Jim Cornette around City because he's from here. You'd see Jimmy Hart. You'd see these people. These guys would come up every week. So you'd see them in the city. you go to a mall. You'd see Hillbilly Jim. Uh, you know, he wasn't wearing, like, overalls and stuff, but you knew it was Hillbilly Jim. He's kind of a distinct-looking individual. So we'd see these people all the time, and it was a different world, man. You could walk up to them and say, "Hey, you know, can I get an autograph?" They'd shake your hand, they'd give you a hug, whatever. I don't, I don't know if there was anything, you know, strange about that. But to me, it wasn't because, for me, for us, it was they were heroes, and uh, you know, the villains. We wouldn't talk to those guys. I mean, that's how real it was. I mean, if we saw, you know, the bad guys, we'd be like, "Ah, oh, man, I don't know." So yeah. I remember Lawler went heel for a while with the heart and stuff, and it mm-hmm. was it was didn't go over well in the city at all. <laughs> I can imagine. I can only imagine it wouldn't have. And then that's the thing, man. Like, there's even that story where Jerry Jarrett uh, is it Jerry Jarrett? Yeah. Um, uh, the how only, he talked yeah. about because he was a promoter. That's Jeff Jarrett's father. For those that don't know, um, and he, you can't, you don't get a sense of in this documentary, but he's actually a pretty bad motherfucker. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess you'd have to be man to wrangle all these guys in and keep them in line. Yeah. There's some stories about Jerry Jarrett. So. Yeah, because he seems like a pretty pretty genial guy. I mean, yeah, he, he yeah. seems pretty great in this. But uh, <laughs> I, I really, I am going to definitely dig into more Memphis history, you know, as time goes on. But um, where was I even going with? Oh yeah, but Jerry had a, had a very very strict policy that the, the heels would never hit your ride with the faces. Yeah, if you did, you would get fired. Right, because they wanted to perpetuate that myth. Right, because the good guys and the bad guys. The territory was, I believe, Memphis, Louisville, uh, maybe Evansville, was, Indiana. Evans, Evansville, Indiana, which is where a good friend of the show Yin Chan Troy is from. That's actually what made me think of it. Yeah, yeah, uh, and you got uh, there was a couple other cities, I believe, in Tennessee, maybe Knoxville. Yeah. And it seems like maybe one more up north, maybe close to Cincinnati or something. I can't remember. Somewhere, somewhere. But anyway, that this whole area, Arkansas city in Arkansas. Yeah, I think. this whole area was you know because Memphis is pretty far from me. Memphis is about <laughs> six seven hours from me, so it's a pretty good drive. But those guys would drive up every week and do a show, and, and then go back and forth. And they and, but they didn't want anybody to be seen on the highways riding together. So, yeah. So and there's some really great stories. There's always great stories about wrestlers and cars. Which well, <laughs> yeah, and you know what that is, though, man. I'll tell you when they were talking about um, 
driving to gigs. You know what that really reminds me of? That reminds me of a lot of the soul musicians I like mm-hmm. yeah. from the, the 50s and 60s. That's how they used to get around too. And that's what it really reminded me of was, you know, back then <clears throat> when you're working a circuit like that, you know, they had to drive together. Or, you know, you had, you had, so inevitably you get four or five bored men who are, who are jacked up on something, <laughs> yeah. uh, even if it's just boredom. Yeah. You, shit's going to fly. It's yeah. just going to happen. And you're going to hear a lot of wacky stuff come out of those those uh, car rides because you got to break the monotony somehow. Yeah, I believe uh, Jackie Fargo, I think, at <laughs> one point tells a story here about hitchhiking nude or something. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. There's always a lot of nudity in these stories, too, which is always very scary for me. <laughs> yeah, there, it is. I told you about the one with uh, Mick Foley in his book talking about Diamond Dallas Page. Who just, whenever they got to the hotel room, he just never wore clothes. Yeah, that's because uh, we talked about his, his diamond cutter, as it were. It's like so odd, man. Put some clothes on, but he just, you know, behind closed doors, he never wore clothes. Uh, that's really uh, really bizarre. I don't want to think about his, you know, because he's, he's got that peely skin from his tan. I just hope that didn't extend, uh, you know, down. But, uh, but yeah, you know, this film, and I do want to say before we get into it, because we're going to, I think a lot of this is just going to be recounting a lot of the, the crazy stuff we hear. But I think that the documentary is really well made because it kind of opens up after those first declarations of, of what heat is and heat is, you know, to get the crowd kind of worked up into a froth. Yes. You know, um, it, someone else, I think it's Jimmy Valiant says they're throwing coffee, trying to burn me with cigarettes as I'm coming down the aisle. Mm-hmm. And it's just insane. And then it opens with this kind of surfy guitar music and a lot of footage and photos from back in the, the 50s right through. And you get a sense that, you know, as much as clearly this is a passion project, it's not a document that's put together by people that uh, are all heart and no no brains or no skill like it's a really well put together well made document like it doesn't feel like amateur hour like yeah, they yeah. really knew what they were doing yeah it doesn't feel like it's made for tv or anything it feels like a film yeah absolutely it does like a proper film and you know it should be said jimmy hart i've said it in the past and i'll say it again the dick clark of wrestling yes uh, yeah i mean he's just he's one of the magical uh pieces of wrestling i didn't know how he actually got into wrestling so the no, story of how he actually amazing. got in it's pretty amazing how he kind of just he just kind of fumbled into it in a way yeah he was in what is it the band the gentries or something yeah the gentries he was a he was a part songwriter i believe on that keep on dancing song I keep on dancing keep on yeah you know? yeah that's right that's right and it was so weird for me to see him young because the only way i know him and he, it seems like he's been frozen in time for 40 years yeah is the way we know him with yeah. the white blazer and stuff and the hair long like a bit of a mullet and and but to see him back then with no facial hair, he was eighteen, nineteen years old, man. What a, like that's just insane for me to see because he's locked into my brain as yeah as Jimmy Hart. Well, it, it's very rare you ever see Jimmy Hart without sunglasses on. It's that's very right. it's very rare to see Jimmy Hart's eyes. He doesn't yeah. uh, he doesn't uh, the sunglasses are really his main claim to fame. He really doesn't really go anywhere without that sunglasses on. Yeah, that's he's like right, he's man. like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I loved and again we didn't get a lot of it. But again, I think they – another testament, I think, to the, the filmmakers and the people involved is despite cramming 30 or 40 years in, it doesn't ever feel rushed or short shrift. It just leaves you wanting more. Do you know what I mean? Like right. I, I never felt like they neglected anything. I mean the end kind of came up suddenly on me. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that was because I was enjoying it so much or if this that was just the, the kind of ebb and flow of it. But I felt like I wanted more. Like a lot of the carnival stuff would have been really wild to hear. Like they were talking about how they'd have these matches – that would have uh, the th- ring. The three sides would be open, and then there would be a curtain behind the fourth side, and they'd they'd get people to come in from the crowd yeah. to wrestle. Yeah, and they'd get the guy up against the curtain, and they, someone would blackjack him, which is that beaver tail. Someone would blackjack him. Yeah, if the match was going on too long, and you know stuff like that. And then, you know another guy, you know another old schooler. I can't remember who it was. Is going. 
Yeah, there were 3,500 holds, 10,000 variations you had to wrestle back in the day. Yeah, that might have been fireworks. That might have been uh, Bill Wicks or Sputnik Moreau. I can't remember which one, but it was one of those two guys. Yeah, I don't know if it was Sputnik. I don't know if it was Sputnik, but it was just it really wild to hear that stuff. And you hear about Gorgeous George kind of being the first guy to to bring in a gimmick because otherwise it was just kind of your strongman, kind of dull and whatnot. And Gorgeous George, who, you know, kind of a Ric Flair-esque <laughs> yeah. performer – you know, with the robe and stuff, and it was just just really interesting to see a lot of that stuff. Yeah, Gorgeous George's <laughs> shtick, his uh, his angle, so to speak, is uh, is still prominent in wrestling today. There's always this. It's like every promotion has a wrestler who's stuck on themselves. Yep. You know, Mister. I remember Lex Luger played Mister. Narcissistic. The narcissist. Yeah, yeah, the narcissist or whatever he was. Rick Martel. Yeah, Rick Martel, model. the model, and then uh, Rick Rude was obviously stuck on himself. He had yeah. pictures of himself on his tights. Val Venus took it to sort of '80s Skinamax territory. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Hello, ladies. Yeah. So you know, you had all that kind of <laughs> stuff. <laughs> the horn. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you get to see kind of like the birth of these angles. What works, you know? You got the Russian thing, which obviously doesn't work anymore. But that was a no. big thing through you know like the forty Japanese years. Thing. Yeah, the Japanese thing. Tojo Yamamoto, very huge. Very popular Japanese wrestler. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was funny because they were talking about the little wooden shoes he would wear. And they're like, man, I don't know how Tojo would walk around in those things. And, you know, I, I would again, that's what I'm saying. Like, I would have loved to have seen more and, and, and heard maybe a few things from Tojo about being a Japanese man, playing a heel in yeah. wrestling and, and being in America at that time. I'm not even yeah. sure if – I don't even know I don't even know if Tojo's still alive or not. Is he still alive? I think he I, might You be. know, I, I certainly don't know. I know Zom would know. Maybe I'm sure if we did some research, we would find out. But, I'm but just hearing from some of those guys – and I'm glad, you know, they didn't get too dark. Not, not, not to say, oh, I want them to sugarcoat things. But, you know, they touch on some of the racism stuff, uh, certainly, and then in world, post-World War II and stuff. But I think there would have been some stuff there they could have even gone into that I would have really liked to have heard because – you know, you kind of get to care for these people uh, when you're watching. You kind of get behind them, and it, it, you know it does a good job of humanizing them while st- still keeping them as these larger than life characters. Right. Yes. Mr. Yamamoto is no longer with us. Yes. 1992. He's been dead rest a while. in peace, King of the Wooden Shoes. Yes, he's been gone a while, but I remember him growing up. I, he's very popular. Yeah. Uh, they talk about Elvis. You know, of being you know certainly from the area, dating a female wrestler, which I thought was kind of cool, and, yeah. and threw something in there. And you know, they get into the midgets and the lady wrestlers, which I grew up. Uh, you know, going to the Oshawa Civic Center and stuff um, with my mom. My mom took me a couple times. My dad took me, and you know, we'd we'd go to matches. And, and there was always midgets and lady wrestlers on the card as well, right. as you know, your Coco Beware's and Corporal Kirshner's and stuff like that. Um, but and then they get into the bear match talk, and and that's when it gets insane. I just I can't even imagine wrestling a bear. I don't care how you know how drugged or how tame that. That's a bear. I can I have vivid memories of being a child and going to. Lumberyards where they would hold matches, not with professional wrestlers that I knew, but anybody could wrestle a bear. And they'd bring this bear that was trained, but obviously it had something on its teeth. Yeah. But I, after watch, I think we went one time and it got a little, it got really rough because you could move the bear around a lot and wrestle with the bear a lot and stuff. But then when the bear's fed up, he literally just manhandles uh, an average human being or even an above average human being it should be said and this bear one time smacked this guy and i had never seen a human being fly so far in my life nearly knocked him off his feet and i bet he went 15 feet before he hit the ground and, and that yeah. was my, that was the time my grandfather would take us to this he thought it was funny but we go to it and when he saw that happen he's like you know what maybe i should take the kids away because somebody's gonna get killed <laughs> and i don't want my grandkids to see this <laughs> yeah well that's just it man 
I can't even imagine that. Like, I was going to say exactly what you said about the SWAT. Just a bare SWAT can take someone's yeah. head off, man. I think it's against the law now. I'm not positive if it I, is. I would be certain it is. Yeah, but I, I would say that PETA and people like that are involved now. I'd say it's pretty much against the law because these bears, you know, they would take a little bit of a beating. People would get in there from the street and they would hit these bears like people. Oh, yeah. And that's not really fair to the animal, so. No. Then the animal smacks somebody. You can't really get too upset. I mean, you're punching a bear. What do you, what do you expect to happen, you know? Exactly, and that that is really a really terrible different time, certainly. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's a different time. Like we talk about with exploitation cinema, it's just a different world than it is now. Yep, no, it definitely is. Uh, and speaking of a different time, one of my favorite things, and again, this is what kind of prompted me. So I got to take my earphones off for a minute. Okay. Um, one of the things that prompted me to really want to want to see more and make this into like a six part or twelve part miniseries on cable was some of the stuff about Sputnik Monroe, which I found. Utterly fascinating. Spider-Man Monroe, you know, played the angle of of the heel, and I, I would guess by his name, certainly a Russian uh, kind of brute. And he used to go to you know uh, Beale Street and stuff in Memphis, and he eat with a lot of the, the African Americans and and drink with them and stuff. And he did a lot for the civil rights movement as far as in his own in his own way of being able to being someone that had a lot of visibility and popularity. Um, and did what he could, you know, to, to integrate himself into the community in that town and, and to speak up for a lot of the, the blacks. And, and they had that thing called the crow's nest where the blacks had to sit at the top. And yes. and I remember he said something to one of the guys in because the, they were squawking while the blacks come. And he said, all right, he goes, you, you'll get paid out of the white money, then I'll get paid from the black money or, or something like that. And yeah. uh, it, it just, you know, really fascinating stuff that adds a, a really... Um, a really human element, and it really it was something historical to the documentary beyond just kind of the the zaniness of it. Yeah, and it, it, this kind of gives you an idea how long this documentary's been in the works. Sputnik died in two thousand six. Oh wow, I didn't know that. So it's been around for a while now. I do know, and I've heard this forever, but it's never been it's never been confirmed yet that HBO bought his life story and they want to make a movie on his life story. But they just I guess they just haven't got around to it now. It seems like it would be the right time, like maybe after the wrestler and stuff, it would have been the right time to do that. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, his story is great. Uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, he's a guy who believed every man is equal. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he pulled no punches with that bullshit. You know, he would go to a restaurant and say, you know, he'd be, he was just a no bullshit kind of guy. Uh, That's right. Way ahead of his time. And I really, really came out of this. I hadn't even heard the name before I saw the documentary mm-hmm. and came out of it. Absolutely wanted to read his book. Yeah. And yeah. find out a lot more about him and just hoping and praying that that movie gets made because, um, you know, when you hear things in the documentary, like, you know, for example, to give you an idea of the impact that he had on the African-American community in the, around the South, around the, where the promotion would go. You know, the, one of the guys says, you know, there was a saying back then that, that the black families uh, in Memphis had always had three pictures on their wall. Jesus, Martin Luther King, and Sputnik Monroe. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I thought that was an incredible line. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, just amazing, man. Um and just something wild, actually, Sputnik said, because he was talking about the riots. And this wasn't so much a race thing, just just more, I think, a riot as far as just, you know, wrestlers and, and you know, the sort of the lines blur between reality and fantasy. But I, I almost fell out of my chair when he said this. He goes, you know, things get so crazy on the road. I had a baby thrown at me at a riot in Odessa, Texas. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, Jeez. I had to rewind it. I was like, what did he say? Did he just say a baby? Or did, did he, he say, say a like baby a baby was thrown at him? Like a baby toy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> It's unbelievable, man. Yeah. Um, but again, like, you know, it said, you know, everybody thought that, that, that these guys would go out. If these guys went out in public and they got in a fight. They got in a real fight because people wanted to kick their ass because they thought they were real. Like, Spudman Rowe mostly played a heel all the time he was a wrestler. He was mostly a quote-unquote bad guy. That's what a heel is in wrestling. For those who don't know, I'm sure the majority of our listeners know. But, yeah. uh, you know, and the other, the, the good guys are known as a face. 
That's right. Yeah. So that that's kind of like wrestling vernacular. So a little bit of the nerd is coming out in us a little bit. But uh, so he mostly was a bad guy, but he was well respected either way. It, it's, it's it's very because he was tough and yeah. he sold it and he did things. You know, his story would be great. I mean, he I know that he was an orphan when he was very young. His dad died in a plane crash. I know he was raised by his grandparents. You know, he had a stepfather. All these things. He's got all the makings for a great like little biofilm. So I'm hoping this <laughs> film gets made. So. I think we got to contact some people, man. Yeah, <laughs> get this thing rolling. Not that we, not that we swing dicks very uh, <laughs> long, figuratively speaking. Literally, naturally, we do. But I uh, think we got to, you know, we got to get out there and spread the word. But uh, another great character, I think you you mentioned him was Jackie Fargo. I thought Jackie Fargo was just fascinating in this too. And you know, because I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that van, that really uh, vain uh, wrestler. Like I love Ric Flair. He's, he's probably. Top three for me all time. Yeah, I yeah. just I, I adore Ric Flair, and to see that's where he got the stuff, you know, the strut and everything else, yeah, yeah. and and uh, just to see Jackie Fargo doing this thing was really great, and and they they kind of skim by this, but I, I didn't know this. They say they mention the name Sam Steamboat, and they they show a picture, and I think with that name and how this guy looks, that had to be Ricky's yeah. father. Yeah, well, I believe it was his father. I believe. Yeah, you could tell, you know, the resemblance. But, yeah, there were so many wrestlers they piled in here that, you know, again, I don't feel the short – anyone got down the short shift, but I would have liked to have seen more. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny hearing them talk about the parts unknown billing. You know, for people that don't know, what sometimes when wrestlers come out, they'll say whatever their angle. Maybe they're a guy that is supposed to be a Mountie, so they'll say he's from Canada. Or, uh, you know, sometimes if they get a, like a wild man from the, the jungles, they'd say from parts unknown, yeah. you know, come so-and-so. And I, come, I always get a kick out of that. Yeah, it should be said Kamala came through the Memphis promotion. So Yeah, there's a few shots of Kamala running around in there, and I was hoping they were going to speak to him because I, I've, uh, <laughs> I think he's pretty- I think he's passed away too. Just more recently, though. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm gonna look yeah. him up right now, see when exactly when that was. <clears throat> um, uh, Rocky Johnson, it should be said, is in this, and Rocky Johnson was The Rock, Dwayne Johnson's father. Yeah. Uh, I liked seeing him in this. I'll tell you, he missed. This is a guy that missed his cinematic calling. Actually, it should be said that Kamala is still alive. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I knew there was some stuff with the website. That's why I said it must have been very recently. He just retired this year on November seventh. How poignant is that? We're talking about this. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, no, he was. A, I remember the most memorable cover, and I, I got to track this cover down because in my head it's still the most real thing that was ever put in a cover. There was a cover of PWI where Kamala had uh, he was feuding with Hogan at the time, and Hogan was was king, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hogan, he had this recreated Hogan head on a spear. Yeah, and it's Kamala all wide eyed and mouth open. Woo! On the cover with, uh, I can't remember his handler's name, with that, that mask and the, the hat and stuff. Um, but anyway, it's it's that. And I remember walking into a 7-Eleven. Oh, it was a Max Milk. I don't know if you have Max Milk there. Uh, no, walking I don't. Into a, walking into Max Milk. It's a big chain, like a 7 Walking into a Max Milk. I was about five or six years old, looking over, and, and I did not know if that was my hero's head. <laughs> On 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 a on a spear, and I called my dad. Dad, dad, look, look! Oh my god! And I was like almost in tears, man. And you know, it's it's just you know, just it's make believe. It's it's makeup and stuff like in the horror movie. So I got to talk to him that cover to see if my five year old stuff is easily as duped as my thirty two year old self. So, but yeah. uh, but anyway, Rocky Johnson, that guy missed a cinematic calling. I mean, this guy had the looks, he had the build, the physicality. Uh, he had a great nickname early on in his career called Sweet Ebony Diamond. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I was going to say when we opened the show that you were Sweet Ebony Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> do me a favor and keep pontificating about the film for a second. got to step away and talk to my wife just for a couple minutes. Yeah, no, Let's I definitely going. will. All right, I definitely ahead. will. But I really think Rocky Johnson, for those of you that don't know, you look up Rocky Johnson. That's, that's how you said again, The Rock's father. 
you know, you look at the guys like the Jim Browns, the Fred the Hammers, even, you know, the Jim Kellys, um, a lot of these guys that worked in black exploitation at the time came from either football or an athletics background. And uh, I really, th- I don't know how Rocky Johnson didn't get into film, especially because uh, what he did as a wrestler really lends itself well to films. And it could, you know, just the, these action films or black exploitation films at the time. And he was right there at the time so I'm a bit stunned he never got into it I don't know if there was reasons uh, he didn't but in any event I think it would have been really uh, really fascinating to see um, to jump into Jerry Lawler again because I think the back third of the documentary kind of deals with him because he really looms large over Memphis wrestling as it were um, it talks about how he first gets into Memphis wrestling and <clears throat> he starts out as like a, a guy that would, would draw up a lot of promos and it should be said it shows some of Jerry Lawler's artwork in this film and I'm telling you, and they say this in the film, he is an amazing artist. Like some of his renderings, you know, whether it was sort of more comic book pop art or, or other stuff, is really, really incredible. And I don't know if he still, um, if he still is an artist, but it, you know, and keeps it up as a hobby or whatever the case may be. But, but really, really interesting and really good stuff. So I'd be curious to see if he's got any prints he's blown off because there's some really, really fascinating stuff in there. Um, I already talked to, to uh, Sammy about you know, how funny it is for me to see Jerry the King like that. Like I said, I, I know him as... Uh, I, I hear you back now. <laughs> yeah, um, I was just saying that. what an amazing artist Jerry Lawler was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think uh, wrestling, he fell into it too, which is really crazy. I, did, I actually didn't know that about Lawler. Only thing, yeah. Lawler's... And I don't want to get in... Because this documentary takes the high road the whole way through. Yeah, it does. I'm, yeah. I don't think... We probably won't get into the low roads. There's really no need for us to get into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I don't really think, you know, to talking about this film, there's any need. But there's, you know, there's some stories I, you know, we could talk about Lawler on here and we could really get into some stuff. But I, I don't want to talk about that. But I, I do, I didn't know about the artist thing. I really didn't. And I didn't know he just kind of fell into it by accident. I thought he knew somebody and he got in. He was never a physical specimen. He was always just kind of a beef, beefy guy. Yeah, he certainly wasn't a specimen. Even in era, an era of non specimens, he wasn't even a specimen compared to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, he, he was old school. You know, he had the hair on the chest. Uh, but he had a good angle. He worked an angle good. And, yeah. uh, you know, he had uh, what they say in the business. He could get over with the audience. You know, he could get over. Yeah. He he did interviews and he did them well. It's funny watching his interviews now. They don't really play as well because wrestlers now are so, sometimes so far over the top. He seems very tame yeah. by comparison to what they used to be. But, of course, you do see the over-the-top guys in there, too, like Jimmy Valiant when he comes. Even Jimmy Valiant in a regular interview, he's over-the-top. Let me tell you something, brother. Well, you know? That guy, I have to wonder, man, like because this is an old man now who's still got the long hair and the earrings and a lot of tattoos. And did he get into the drugs pretty good? Uh, I, I get that vibe that he did. Maybe it's just his thing. He's kind of got that, that, that Billy Graham kind of free spirit uh I'm not absolutely positive. Like I a think guy that old with that many tattoos and earrings, I have to think, drugged it up pretty good. He's... I know he hung with the the biker crowd. So, Did he? and he was pretty big at one point. I mean, he he was not only popular, but I'm talking about physically huge. He was a yeah. a big big man. I mean, he was six two, and I think when he when he when he actually wrestled, he was in the two fifties somewhere in there. Uh, oh wow! Uh, but he uh, he he wrestled all the way up two thousand five, which is just crazy. But it seemed like he got sick or something. Maybe he got an illness or something because he'd lost a ton of weight. Right and uh, lost a lot of his muscle mass and everything, but I can't, I don't remember, and there's no need for me to sit here and try to guess because I could spend hours trying to guess. But uh, seemed like he may have got sick. Alcohol may have been a factor, you know. It wouldn't surprise me. A lot of these guys, you know, they they you know they they did a lot of stuff in pain, and mm-hmm. so there's only one way to get rid of pain, and that's usually narcotics, unfortunately. 
Yeah. Or just don't yeah. wrestle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this was their livelihood. You know, this is what they had to do. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, but but interesting. He's got this tattoo of like wrestling boots right up his legs. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> insane, man. Uh, I have to ask you because Bill Dundee was Australian, Scotland, mm-hmm. but he came through Australia. Did the, the did the movie Crocodile Dundee get its name from Bill Dundee? Do you know that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, every time I hear the name Dundee, I think Australia because of Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, there's only two Dundees I know of that are super super popular. That's Superstar Bill Dundee and Crocodile Dundee. So. I've always just associated the two with each other, but he uh, he amazingly still looks pretty much the same too. <laughs> he looks pretty good, man. I mean, he's working the Grecian formula, I think, a bit, but yeah. you know, he's he still looks pretty good for his age. I think I, I love the way he talks. He he was a he was a great heel, man. I mean, he was one of my favorite heels of all time. Little guy, lot of personality. Did a lot of beef, a, did, too. did great interviews. Didn't know what he was saying ninety percent of the time, and it didn't matter. It was hilarious. Couldn't even talk because it was like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, let me ask you while we're on the air, completely off topic. What's this wait list thing on Amazon? Like, do I have to wait to buy something? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I was going to get the croaks. I saw you guys talking about Blu-ray, five bucks, and uh, oh, wait, wait. there's a wait list. Well, yeah, they, they, they had this deal thing. So, like, between 12.30 and 4 p.m. Pacific time, so that's 3.30 and whatever, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, you had to get in there to buy it, and it'll give you, it'll show you, like, you know, they have only a certain amount. Right. So it'll show you, like, a percentage where it's going like they're going to sell Pulp Fiction here at seven thirty p.m. tonight. Pulp Fiction on Blu-ray for four dollars. Yeah, I mean, I think my wife's going to Buffalo for Black Friday with a friend of hers, yes. and uh, she's going to pick it up for a fiver theirs from yes. there. So I'm definitely going to pick up that tonight and stuff too. But yeah, it's the, I picked it up when I first came home and I was waiting for, to get on the thing and stuff. So hey, a little behind the scenes of the GGTMC. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I got to scale it back with Christmas around the corner and everything else. But yeah, no. But, uh, but you know, Billy Dundee was interesting. And I liked. I, I laughed when they said, "Yeah," and he wouldn't know what he was saying in interviews. And they cut to the footage. And another thing, man, with this documentary, really well edited. It should be said. Yeah, yeah, it's it's well put together. It doesn't it doesn't feel sloppy at all. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, what is sloppy and unfortunate, and I would would probably make me curse the gods of the universe every time it happened. Was I, I think it might have been Valiant who says, "I never had a car that wasn't keyed." Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the, yeah. this thing we always talk. Remember, we talked about this when we did Roadhouse. Oh. You know, that the kind of genius thing that the Dalton character does is he buys these junk cars. You know, that he learned that you're going to be yes. hated. You know, I'm I'm a manager yeah. and I'm in the management field. This is a reality that if you if you are the boss of people, this is what you'll run into in life. Mm-hmm. You know, people get immature when they get mad and they do stupid things. So yeah. You know, I'm not going to say I've never done anything that stupid. I'm sure I have. I don't want to talk about it, but I'm sure I have. <laughs> yeah, we all have, certainly. Um, Did it to Zom's ass cheek in Whorehound, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Lawler, you know, because I was saying when you were off here, Lawler, you know, the back third kind of focuses on him a lot and how he loomed over the promotion. But what was interesting, he wrote a lot of the stories, and he was pretty much the principal writer six months of the year. Yeah for the promotion and you know they were doing a 90 minute show every Saturday which I think was the big show for them um, as well as all the other angles they were working which was really fascinating and it goes on to talk some of the numbers mm-hmm. and they outdrew in Memphis they outdrew the World Series Sanford and Son and Little House on the Prairie I think they're I can't remember what it was a 27 share or a rating I don't know what it was but something that they said nowadays if you get a 5 is, is, you're doing well and these guys had a 27 so it really shows you how yeah. that the areas they went to at the time, it was it was right time, right place. I can tell you, uh, this is how big wrestling was in Louisville and Memphis wrestling in particular. 
when the 2001 theme, which is not what it's called, whatever that was a Danube Waltz or whatever. I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah, I know the one. Yeah, when that, when that piece of music was played when we were kids, that automatically meant wrestling. Mm-hmm. That automatically meant it, it was before Elvis would use it in his Las Vegas shows, and of course Kubrick used it the probably the most popular way, obviously. But you know, we we didn't have no way of knowing what 2001 was. You got remember this is before VHS really. And things yeah. like that. We didn't. I didn't see Elvis live. You know, he was. I, I was in my mom's stomach at one point when she went to an Elvis concert. But I was never. I was never. Uh, you know, I never saw him live. Um, but I didn't know any of this. So that theme music to me and that model of the two wrestlers has always been what. Every even when I watch two thousand one to this day. You picture those two Greco Roman. I picture those Greco Roman wrestlers in the <laughs> nice. statue and spinning. It just says wrestling. That's awesome. <laughs> So that's that's how that's what that music meant to us. You know, we would play that music on like little little like little radios on the cassette tape, and we play it. You know, and my mom would be like, "Oh, that's from 2001." And we'd be like, "No, it ain't. It's from wrestling." You know, you know how kids are. You don't know what you're talking about, mom. Yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. That's funny, man. Um, I got just a couple more things. I, I want to hear you get into this. They talk about the, the the Andy Kaufman Jerry Lawler feud, which I think is going to be fascinating to people that maybe are outsiders, but. Step pop culture, the intersection of Andy Kaufman, who was one of the biggest com- comedians at the time, with Jerry Lawler, one of the biggest wrestlers at the time, and and how that that thing played out uh, on late night talk shows and everything else. That's pretty interesting. And and you know they say at the end of this that the uh, Memphis promotion ran for twenty years, um, over twenty years. Mm-hmm. I think that's just you know that that TV show I should say the Saturday morning one. Yep, that's, that's a pretty good run, man. You know, twenty years they're writing that thing every week and they kept it up and. You know, just you know, really, really. Uh, I think a testament to people that were dedicated to to that uh, promotion. So those are my notes. I'll kick it over to you. All right. So yeah, like I said, this is the promotion I grew up with. Uh, my brother and I, we would get up on Saturday mornings. This was our big deal. We'd watch this before we even went out of the house. So this is what we did before we went out of the house. Before we did anything else in the mornings, we'd eat our breakfast. We'd watch wrestling. Once we got a VCR, it worked out even better because then we could record it. We could go out of the house, come back and watch it later. Mm-hmm. But this was this was you know our thing, man. So we were huge with the Lawler Dundee. Uh, uh, Dirty Dutch Mantel was there. They didn't interview him for this, but uh, of course, oh I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's there. Uh, you know, Tojo Yamamoto, the Boogie Boogie Man, Jimmy Valiant, the Road Warriors were there for a while. Oh, nice. uh, there, uh, just about almost any wrestler that was pretty popular in the '80s came through that promotion in some way, shape, or form. Not all yeah, they of show, them. They Rick, show this. They show Sting, Undertaker, all sorts of guys. Macho Man. Yeah, Ric Flair. Ric Flair's in there. Flair. They all kind of come through there a little bit. Yeah, Macho Man was huge here in Louisville. He was actually gigantic here in Louisville. Huge star here. Everybody loved him. Um, but, yeah, they, I mean, you had all this stuff going on, and all these guys coming through. And at the time, you know what? You know, they, they seemed like after the WWF got huge and stuff, and a lot of these guys changed their personalities, right? But I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. You don't. You didn't have the internet then. Like you know, I didn't know that. You know, I would if if I was a kid, I wouldn't have known Scott Hall was Razor Ramon. You right. know, but during that time frame. Now, as an older right. person, I could have figured that out pretty easily. Yeah. But as a young kid, I didn't figure that out. So they had this whole uh, thing in there where they talked about the mask thing, where sometimes some wrestlers would have to wrestle like three times a night in different masks. <laughs> yeah, because they were stretching their dog. That was the Godfrey Ho school of uh, <laughs> yeah. of wrestling promotion. But yeah, because maybe they were saying maybe I couldn't talk or he couldn't do this, but he's a good wrestler. They'd have him wear this mask and then that mask, yeah. and <laughs> he had to do a tag match. Or yeah. Something. So he'd have to wrestle like two or three times. You get paid more money, but obviously you'd be completely exhausted. You know, you'd be drained. Man. And they talked a little bit about that, about the exhaustion and stuff, and about going back to the hotel room you know you're amped you got to think of what it must be like to be a wrestler you go out in front of nowadays 60,000 people sometimes 
Yeah. And you're amped. You're you're full of energy. You're pumped. Your your adrenaline's really flowing. People are screaming. People are yelling. You're really going. And now all of a sudden, you got to go back to maybe not nowadays, but back then. And I don't think they had sixty thousand then. But let's just say they had twenty thousand. You, you you go back to a hotel room and you're by yourself. And now you got to live with the the sore knees, the sore ankles, the wrists, the bad back. The your ears are ringing. Yeah, your ears are ringing. Everything's – all the reality comes back to you and stuff. So the reason why I think the wrestling world has always fascinated me is that these guys choose. It's not that this is real, fake, whatever. It's that they choose to do this for a lifestyle. It's that they choose to go this route. Because you have to wonder what in your life really leads you down that road. You know what I mean? And, and especially when you talk about the older wrestlers because these guys were not specimens. I mean, look at Jackie Fargo. That guy, <laughs> that guy was a flat-out just, – just a flat-out redneck. Yeah, it's a big bruising redneck. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that, and, and I always say this on Facebook. My favorite kind of wrestlers are the kind of guys that look like they pound about twelve beers a day, and they probably you know would eat White Castle like every night. You yeah. know, they were not taking care of themselves. They were they were probably smoking when they weren't out there. They were probably smoking behind the curtain before they come out. Oh yeah, they're just buttoning it out with their their wrestling boot as their music comes on. Yeah, so it's really interesting. That world is much more interesting. Now, now, and don't get me wrong, I, you know the Batistas and these specimens—they're they're very much—they're interesting too. But they're they're very superheroic, right? They're very much the mold that we've created. You know, now what superheroes are supposed well, to be? That's that's unfortunately the the reality we're in nowadays is is we place far too much value, and we see this translate into film. Yes. We see t- far too much value on the aesthetics, or or uh, you know very much looks and and crafting it at any means by any means necessary whereas i think back then you had the variation you know you'd have your your pup mr wonderfuls and your superstar billy grams and stuff but then you'd also have your adrian adonis's and guys and, and it's nice to have that variation because when you get all beefcakes it becomes nothing but a, like almost like a ridiculous cookie cutter runway yeah 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 it's true if, if everybody looks like a brutus beefcake or hulk hogan or, or rick rude these guys uh, Lex Luger, these are all great examples. Then it's it's kind of boring. But one of the things I always liked about Sting was he wasn't huge. No, he, he was he was muscular and pretty and pretty athletic and stuff. But he was not a big guy. But he no. had an, he had an angle to work. Now he couldn't he couldn't really do interviews. I don't think he did interviews great. But no. his angle worked. Everything's brilliant for him to take that crow angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He took the crow <laughs> angle. That well, that revived him a little bit because remember he it was totally kind of fade, he was fading a little bit, you know. And I, I love blonde Sting. Woo! I love that Sting. That yeah. was like, and it was. I always was so heartbroken. I never got to see him wrestle, but I'd, I'd have his toys, mm-hmm. you know, and I would have his pictures cut out of the magazines on my walls and stuff. <laughs> But, yeah, he was brilliant to, to switch to the silent brooder because he didn't do interviews very well. Well, yeah, and that's something wrestling's always done. Wrestling always adapts to pop culture. Yes. Sometimes it creates pop culture, as in, like, The Rock or Hulk Hogan or uh, Andre the Giant, these guys that almost everybody knows even if you don't know wrestling. That's right. But what the brilliant thing wrestling has always done is it adapts. Sometimes it does it to failure. I remember when Kiss got back together that the WCW had a demon wrestler. It was oh, like Gene yeah. Simmons. It didn't work out for him very well. No. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work, but every now and then they'll take an angle. Like when vampires get big, they bring in a vampire. When yeah. you know Frankenstein's monster gets big or the zombies get big, here comes the Undertaker. I mean, you know, you get all these these angles, you know. And sometimes they work forever, as is in the case of the Undertaker. Even though, if you think about it, though, the Undertaker went motorcycle redneck for about I don't know about ten years or so. I don't even know what yeah, he's doing. I don't know what he's doing now. Undertaker is one of my least favorite wrestlers ever. Yeah, and he he went that uh, American badass route. That was what he it went was. the kid. Rock, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he adapted to it. And yeah. it, it worked great for him. Uh, yes, I was. It wasn't my favorite Undertaker era, but you know, it worked great for him. I like the mysterious Undertaker. I didn't like that Undertaker, but anyway, 
what they've always done is adapt pretty well and stuff. So that's one of the fascinating things about wrestling. It's really kind of like it's like a microcosm of pop culture, all wrapped into yeah. one. If you think about it, and I think it's why it, it it comes and goes and fits and phases right of popularity. Like right now, it's probably really popular with some people, but it, because I don't watch it, it doesn't seem really popular to me. That's right. No, exactly. And we're not in in our circle where. You know, I hear guys, you know, like James McCormick or Zomer Lofo, sometimes they'll say they, they watch TNA a little bit or they did this or they did that, but it doesn't seem to, yeah, be a thing that's just sort of in the vernacular of our of our inner circle right now. Yeah, but but if me and you decided to, and we decided to stop doing movie podcasts and do a wrestling podcast, boom, we get right back. We could probably get right back into it. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't even be that hard because that's how accessible it is. And I think that's what the genius of wrestling is. It's not that it's, you know, real competition. The genius of wrestling is is that it's kind of commenting on pop culture all the time and and the kind of, you know, like we said, the kind of modern gladiator, the kind of thing that, you know, human beings have been talking about forever. It's not like gladiator times where they throw tigers in there with Christians. But, uh, you know, it is in a lot of ways people using their bodies for the entertainment of others, sometimes to the point of insanity. And uh, such as Terry Funk, Mick Foley, Mick Foley, and some of these so guys. Forth, yeah. And don't get me wrong, I love those guys. Although I do think it's insane what they do. Yeah. Uh, you know, Terry Funk can't do what he used to do. But even at you know in his fifties, Terry Funk's you know doing <laughs> moonsaults off the fucking top rope out onto the concrete floor. I mean, yeah, what, it's just insane. <laughs> what logic is that? You know, there's no logic to do that in your fifties. I'm going on thirty nine years old next year, and when my back hurts, I'm like, there's no way. And I'm, this guy, he can barely walk. Yeah, it's you know talking about bleeding for your art. Yeah, you know, so, you know, but he feels like it was important to do. You know, what I like about him is you know people pay money to see him wrestle. Regardless of how he feels, this is what he's going to do. He's going to go out there and he's going to put on a show. He's fifty something years old. He's Terry Funk. He's still got to put on the Terry Funk show. That's right. You know, so that that's kind of the world he's created for himself. But you know, that's the way it goes. Um, yeah, the uh, they they show the empty the empty arena match in here. That was really popular. That was very po- a lot of people on Facebook even talk about it today. That was very popular. That Lawler Funk uh, Lance Russell Lance Russell was huge in Louisville, man, huge. Yeah, I don't know that name. <laughs> yeah, but he was he was like the uh, the announcer and stuff. They throw flour on him. Oh, stuff. that guy, yeah, yeah, that guy, yeah, yeah. They, 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 he always he was such a card, and they'd always you know he was like, oh come on, Lawler, you know you're yeah, so yeah. full of it and stuff, you know. But he was the perfect foil for these you know heels and stuff. Um. I really don't have a whole lot more to add. You've talked about just about everything. All I can really say is this, even though it was not released theatrically, this is easily going to be in my top films of 2011. Yeah, this will be in my probably right now top 20 for sure. It really, really good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's one of the best documentaries I've seen this year. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's probably my second favorite documentary behind Cinna that I've seen. And it's really fun. It's a fun documentary. I think that, you know, I don't think it's a matter of sugarcoating. I just think they went the angle of... You know, these people that love the Memphis promotion and wanted to talk about the fun they felt uh, and, and the magic of the promotion versus getting into a lot of the dark stuff that, you know, Beyond the Mat or Wrestling with Shadows or what other ones do. And like I said, I just think that they were they were smart to take that approach because it comes out as a really fun, rompy uh, documentary, which I think serves the tone of what it's about well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, like I said, there's another documentary to be made about that stuff, I'm sure. But this one yeah. isn't about that. This one's about celebrating wrestling. And uh, for that reason, I think it's well worth uh, your hard-earned dollar to buy. Seriously. I'm with uh, Will on this one. Go buy this. If you get a chance to buy this, buy this <clears> film. <throat> if you have any interest, if you're a wrestling fan, buy it 100% guaranteed. If you're only interested in it, still buy it 100% guaranteed. If you're not really interested in it, maybe if you can get a hold of it and rent it, fine. But I'm telling you right now, if you buy it, you're not going to be disappointed. So No. No, because you're going to want to find out more 
about these characters. I mean, you got four hours almost of interviews and outtakes and everything else. It gets sates that a little bit for you. It quenches that thirst a little bit. Exactly. So let's hear your MVT make or breaks. This is kind of I never really thought about make or breaks and MVTs for a documentary. So this is no. interesting. And it should be said, this is the very first documentary yeah. we have ever done on the show. Yeah. We've done an instruction an instructional video <laughs> surviving edge weapons. <laughs> Uh, never, actually, no, I lied. It's not our first documentary. I did Pink Saris this year. Oh, yeah, that's, year. That's, right. that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, but, I wasn't, I, yeah, but I wasn't so involved with that second. one. So. Couldn't be any more different from this one. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, my make or break are the scenes with Sputnik Monroe and the Civil Rights Movement. Yep. Um, really, really poignant for me. And it should be said, I want to say, man, Rocky Johnson represent Canada, baby. Yeah. He's from Nova Scotia. He's yeah. a Scotian, so... I, I'd be lying if I said my chest didn't swell a little bit at that. Um, and, and sorry, he totally should have been like in the black exploitation films, man. Like he would no, have been like, right. a kingpin. It's like he missed it, maybe, but I don't know how he missed it. I really don't. Ken, I don't know how he missed it, buddy. He would have yeah. been right there with the Jim Browns, the Fred the Hammers, like, even Ken yeah, Norton. Even Ken Norton got in there. I don't know how he missed it. I really don't. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's really heartbreaking. But the stuff with Sputnik and the civil rights movement—that's when I was like, man, this is fantastic. And there's a lot of great human interest stories in this. This, this isn't just about the zany, you know, um, uh, you know, t- uh, hitchhiking nude stuff as great as that is. Like, there's a depth to this and what's, what they're talking about. So that was my make or break. MVT is just this this wonderful world and the, this cast of characters in Memphis wrestling. I almost went with the, the director because I do, like I said, this is a really well-made documentary. Yeah. Um, but I just want to, I think, before you even get to the documentary, you've got to have the subject matter that is going to Compel you to make the film. So, yeah. just this world of Memphis wrestling and the people that inhabited it are the MVT for me. And my score is an eight point two five out of ten. It nice. may go up the more I think about it, but man, I really like this documentary. It's a really, really good time. I had a smile on my face when I was done it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's. I'm almost in total agreement with you. The make or break for me is really, really hard. There's almost too many in here. Yeah. To really get into, I agree with you on the Sputnik Rowan, so I can totally go that way. Uh, I'm just going to go with that because there's really just too many to even name. I mean, I love the how Jimmy Hart got into wrestling. That's a pretty good make or break. I love the scenes with Lawler. The Kaufman stuff, yeah, some of us know about that because of Man on the Moon and everything else. Yeah. But but still, that's really good stuff. Uh, man, it's a, Jackie Fargo's interviews are pretty great, you know, because you know, he makes fun of modern wrestling. Pretty, He's pretty point blank about it. Yeah, he is. Uh, so there's, but I'll go with the Spending Monroe stuff. It is pretty important stuff, and it's good stuff. Uh, my MVT, I was going to go with the director too, man, but I got to go with the content. I mean, you got to have the content. Sometimes a filmmaker is, doesn't just make it all, you know. I've, but sometimes, you know, I've seen documentaries, uh, documentaries on uh, films on stuff that I don't give a shit about, but the filmmaker made me care. So I can't go the other way too. But I'm going to have to go with the content as well. I mean, it's just for me, this is film is a little bit of a cheat because it's nostalgic. So it's a little bit of a cheat for me. Uh, but at the same time, I still think people will enjoy this film quite a bit. My score for the film a little bit higher than yours, eight point five. So that's the, fair. I was I was right there. Yeah. I, I, even as I was doing it, I was like, "Am I there?" You know. Yeah. Then it might go up to that. That's a fair score. Man. It's the best. It's it's one. Of the, well, it's one of the best documentaries I've seen this year. It's one of the best films I've seen this year. Uh, I don't know where it'll fall yet, but it will definitely be talked about again. So. There we go. I, I, let's just put it this way. It will definitely be on the year-end show. I just don't know where. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, so that's our review of Memphis Heat. Check it out, please. Maybe we should try to contact that director and talk to him. That would be pretty cool. I, I would love to. I thought about that myself. Maybe we could even get a roundtable, do a bonus show with the Sylvain Gold guys. The four of us could talk. Although yeah. Zom could probably run the show. <laughs> he could probably run <laughs> the show. Zom so, yeah. Must be. Jeez. Yeah. All right, so uh, we're going to take a short break, come back, and we're actually going to do listener feedback. I know it's been a long time, but we're going to do something here. So uh, we'll be back right after this. 
What's up, kitties? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, the only show crazy enough to tackle the Brian Bosworth classic Stone Cold. back everybody we have got some feedback some voicemails maybe we'll get to some emails we'll see we got about 30 minutes here to to knock out some feedback so we want to get to some of it because uh we've had a lot of it on the back burner for a while as you guys know our schedule hasn't always worked out for us and stuff so um shall we shall we roll large william shall we just roll let's, into it let's do it all right here we go one from tom dj jake only from better in the dark laboratory straight out of brooklyn I just finished listening to Johnny Boogan's most recent episode, and I got to say that that there's a, a wow. great sigh of relief uh, mentally from me because uh, after hearing you guys exchange uh, about Sucker Punch, I, I'm relieved, uh, my friend Big Will, that you are the only other person I know besides me and Derek who seem to be willing to slightly defend that film. I, I don't yeah. I don't think of it as highly as you do. I would guess in a scale of 1 to 10, I would put it like maybe a 4. Um, I do think what happened is um, this is one of the case of a, of a director who had a story. This is obviously some sort of personal story because you endured that whole music video at the very end and saw the, uh, the end credits, the last the end credits. He dedicates it to his mother. There was something going on there that was very personal to Mr. Snyder, but I think what happened was... Here was a guy who was given the opportunity to do his big personal story before he was sufficiently mature as a director to handle it. I think it is a it is a mess. I think that he the um, differentiation between the three layers of storytelling is you had like the one the the real the real world and you had the two fantasy worlds. I think the differentiation between the, the, the two fantasy worlds wasn't sufficient enough, so it was kind of confusing as to what was going on. I think, in fact, they, 
the film would have been better served if Snyder had just totally eliminated the quote unquote the real world and just dealt with the dance hall and the fantasy world um, completely. Um, but I would rather watch something like this, which is a mess. But at least it's a mess, uh, you know, in which somebody is str- is trying to give us some new ideas, rather than. Um, him doing another adaptation, and I think he, he is one. Of, he's become one of um, a director I really admire because this is the first time he's produced a film I have not liked. I, you know, Three Hundred is kind of also kind of faded away with time, but I love the Dawn of the Dead remake. I uh, and I absolutely, absolutely think Watchmen is perhaps one of the best. Uh, comic book adaptations of all time, and I will fight Absolutely. people over that. You know, I think that there's a there's this weird. Um, in fact, I'll tell you, I think that the changes he made to the ending made the the story stronger because it because Alan Moore's ending, quite frankly, was a bit of crap. I, I think that what we are seeing, the way that everybody is ganging up on Snyder right now, is this weird geek culture um, impulse. Where you know when somebody comes up like Snyder, who is one of one of the our own in geek culture, and because look at the way they embraced 300 back in the day. Look at the way you know they were just going off the walls with that. But they see the need to tear them down, especially when they try to move out of the comfort zone. And I give as much as I think that Sucker Punch was a failure, and it was. Not badly acted. I think that he needed somebody like Emily Browning with those big, dewy, hurt eyes uh, for that lead. Uh, the only person yes. I think who gave a bad performance, oddly enough, is someone who I usually like in every other film I've ever seen her in, except in, for some reason, the Zack Snyder films, which is uh, Carla Gugino. Um, yes. But I, <laughs> I, I think Terrible it's accent. just a case that they're looking, they were looking to. It was bad. Out. It was really bad. And uh, Watchmen, they teared him down for not being faithful to a story that was flawed, was magnificent, but was flawed. And I, 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 I would rather, like I said, I, I give him a lot of credit. But you know what the funny thing is? I bet you that all the people who cry and bitch and moan. Is it just me or is he fading it out? Here, Sam, but who are crying and bitching and moan about how much he hates women and all that would not have done that if. What Sucker Punch was was what Warner Brothers tried to sell it as, which was solely about the fantasy sequences, solely about those little video game cutscene sequences. Um, if it was nothing but that, I think a lot of the less educated fanboys would have eaten it up. But because Snyder tried something ambitious and failed at doing it, he tried do- telling a story that was personal to him that was bigger than just a comic book adaptation they they tore them apart and I think it's undeserved but I've rambled on for far too long we're, we're planning <laughs> on doing a director's court episode of Better in the Dark about Snyder well I'd love to have you on it well I think you'd be great I'm there man I think Snyder's but, good um, he's a talented filmmaker anyway guys have a great day alright I'm going to get into my I'm going to grab my French hot girlfriend get into my 50s uh, land shark car, drive out into the desert, and dance to Jerry Lee Lewis. Why? Because I'm awesome! Incroyable!
right. C'est magnifique. Ils ont fait un piece de feedback pour un moment. Ils parlent de Johnny Boogans. Oui, dans notre plus récent épisode. Je pense qu'il brings up un point intéressant. Les gens se tournent sur... Ça se passe dans tout. Ça ne peut pas être une nerd culture. Ça peut être n'importe quoi. Regardez le Will Ferrell. Les gens se tournent sur lui. Tout ce qu'il fait maintenant est poop. But I think, I think in all fairness, I was a Will Ferrell fan. But I think there's something unique about the the, the geeks turning on their own because I think Snyder's Snyder's aim is, or not his aim, his his motive are, is to bring sort of geek culture to with no. a big budget to the screen. Yeah. Whereas Ferrell, I think, just plays the idiot man child who needs to get humbled and learn life lessons. I, but I know what you're saying. People have an audience that really turns on them and. I didn't love uh, Sucker Punch. For, I don't want to rewrite history here. I thought it was okay and a noble attempt at something different, if a complete mess. Yes. It looked great, though, and I think the girls were great in it. Um, the stuff was very stock, but it wasn't any more stock and, and basic than a lot of genre films. So, you know. And I disliked it, and I, I have no qualms about that. I think the story was awful and everything else. I just, yeah. I don't think it was sexist at all. I don't see that anymore. No, because I don't see that That either, would be really. the same thing as saying 300 sexist, because it's, 300 is essentially the male version of Sucker Punch in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah, it absolutely is. The so, period piece, that's all. It's, and I like 300 a lot when it came out because it was something new and fresh. But I agree, and we've all said this. As time's gone on, 300 is aged badly. It it's aged really badly. Yeah. And that's because it was this thing, you know. So, you know, it is what it is, you know. But I, I probably feel about the same way about 300 as I do about Sucker Punch now. I just don't really. I, don't I would know, probably, I, and, this, and this might say something, I would probably prefer Sucker Punch. I really hate 300, and I was really amped when it came out. Yeah, man. but it, it, that might be a thing, though, that, you know, 10 years down the line, though, we talk about it. You might still, you might hate Sucker Punch as much as you hate 300. You never know. It's, it's one of those things, right? So it's just kind of like apples, oranges, that kind of thing. But, all right, that's enough talk about Sucker Punch. <laughs> and I do want to say that I think The Watchmen is the first or second best comic book adaptation Period. Mm. Uh, one of the best ones I just bought a little while ago, The Crow. That's Bold one statement, but I, I think that was enough. He wasn't going to win with everyone no matter what he did, but true. brilliant adaptation, true, man. True. All right, we got one from Lotep here. Haven't heard from him in a while. There we go. Haven't heard from him in a while. Hey, it's Lotep. I haven't phoned in in a while. I've been listening loyally, though. I uh, just bought a new house. been busy. Oh. Uh, you know how it is. Yeah. But anyways, uh, Phoning in with some TIFF reviews there for you. Well, this has been a while. <laughs> uh, I think you've seen much this year. Three movies. Um, saw Pearl Jam 20, which probably does not concern uh, this podcast much at all. Yes, it does. If you're a fan, you'll love it. If you're not, well, there's nothing new there. <laughs> the two movies I did see, though, that uh, are of interest is uh, so the Midnight Madness movie, The Incident, uh, directed oh. by first-time French director Alexandra Cortez, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Cortez, Cortez. This about uh, it's a siege thriller about four line cooks, three of which look exactly like the members of Nirvana. It's kind of weird. It takes place in 1989. They're members of a band. Well, the three cooks, four cooks, in a mental institution when the power goes out, and uh, they defend from themselves against violent psychotic inmates. Uh, this is a okay movie. It's pretty good. Uh, the final 10 minutes are kind of a mess, uh, but it's got some, um, some good tension, uh, some real visceral gore, as only the French seem to be able to do these days. Yeah. Uh, we're talking body parts chewed off with teeth and clothes up, uh, people being burned alive. Uh, it's Uh, it actually, someone actually passed out in our showing, which is a badge of honor, the midnight showing. Yeah, uh, it is. It was okay. Uh, I liked it, enjoyed it. Uh, features a bunch of uh, 
Belgian actors, non-speaking roles that are some of the weirdest looking <laughs> mental institutionary guys. Mental institutionary. <laughs> they can't even say that word. Uh, people you've ever seen. Oh. But anyways, that movie pales in comparison to the one I saw the next day. Killer Joe by William Freakin. Nice, very interesting. And well, I'll tell you, William Freakin maybe in his mid-70s, but uh, he can still make some transgressive cinema. Let me tell you, this movie starring Matthew McConaughey, Emile Hirsch, Thomas Hayden Church, Gina Gershon, and Juno Temple. Great cast. How do we say it? Let me see. Think Red Rock West meets Texas... Texas Rob Zombie's <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, nice, nice. This movie is maybe Matthew McConaughey's uh, most unique role. He plays a cop who's sidelines as a hired assassin. He's hired by Emile Hirsch and Thomas Hayden Church, who are two redneck uh, idiots. <laughs> uh, like I said, acting like right out of a Rob Zombie movie. White collar, blue collar, idiot. Swearing every other word, greasy hair, dumb. He's a cop who's been hired by them to kill their mother for the insurance money, which is supposed to be inherited by Juno Temple. I don't know if you guys know her. She's yes. the daughter of a famous screenwriter. She was in uh, that awful uh, Reitman movie, uh, Year One. Mm. Uh, you get to see her plenty naked in this movie, if that interests anyone. Right. Um, <laughs> Well, anyways, they hire her to kill their mother so she can inherit the money and they could all split it and pay off some gambling debts that uh, Emile Hirsch has acquired. And when, when This movie changes once McConaughey enters the picture because instead of this turning from a typical noir act uh, thriller, McConaughey is a psychosexual, perverted psychopath. And, uh, well, let's just say, if you ever wanted to see a movie where Matthew McConaughey seduces a 17-year-old girl while pretending to be a 12-year-old boy that she had a crush on and deflowering her from behind while talking like a 12-year-old boy. Or you wanted to see Gina Gershon uh, have about a five-minute oral sex sequence on a KFC chicken leg while McConaughey pretends to come. This is the movie for you. Uh, it's not exactly a ringing endorsement for this movie. I don't know where I really stand on it. It's fucking strange. I'll say that. Um, I don't know if it'll ever get a mainstream release. Probably not. Um, it almost plays. You know, I was really actually disturbed by the sexual violence in this and the scene of Gina Gershon's uh, unshaved beaver. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you yeah. get a nice close-up of that in this oh, movie, too. Uh, not to mention that. her cat face. So I'll lay off the Botox woman. Um <laughs> uh, I actually had mixed feelings on it and was probably siding on the negative on this movie until I actually popped in my head that Rob Zombie thing kept popping in my head for some reason. And then it clicked. This movie plays almost exactly like an origin story to House of a Thousand Corpses or Texas Chainsaw Massacre or any one of those hillbilly killer movies. This plays like the origin story of one of those starts off as a little noir and then ends up into that weird area. Uh, so, well, that was the movie I saw. I liked it. 
I'm sorry, uh, Will, I missed your next. Um, underestimated uh, traffic in Toronto there. I uh, was hoping to rush that line and go see that movie with you. Uh, maybe next year. <laughs> yes. But, uh, this was rambling. I'm sure it was over three minutes. Sorry <laughs> if uh, it's too long. Take your easy, guys. As always, I'm a loyal listener, and I'll uh, talk to you later. Bye. It's good to hear from Low Tech again. We haven't heard from him in a while there. Looks like yeah, that's true. Very true, very nice. I wish I could have up him. That's two years in a row we've been foiled, so that's a bummer, man. That one sounds fantastic. We get uh, uh, Gina Gershon, who I'm a big fan of, filleting a chicken drumstick with an unshaved uh, beaver. I'm in. That's all I need to know. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, I've heard some things. I mean, I've heard some – it's very transgressive and very kind of nasty in the way with its sexuality and stuff. So it's interesting stuff, but I've also heard the opposite side of that where that might be the only thing in the film that's – interesting so but i'm definitely gonna see it either way so looking forward to it yeah oh me too as soon as i get to chance and i'm glad to see mcconaughey i think a guy we both like outside of his askew shirtless <laughs> lean chick flicks i think he's the we've, we've often said he's really missing his calling as far as yeah he could be like a modern day burt reynolds or something Bert, man he's absolutely the modern bird he's just throwing that uh that crown down so yep. Yeah. All right, uh, we got another one here. This one's from Cinemasticist Justin, who popped up on the show recently. Know that I have nine minutes. Okay, this hey is guys, four minutes. Hey, guys, the Cinemasticist Justin Airbrolts are calling, <laughs> reporting that I have seen The Stabilizer, and I had a ton of fun watching it. Uh, it kind of reminded me a bit, and it might have been from the same director. I don't know if you guys seen this film, uh, For Your Height Only, no. which was a uh, James Bond suit, the little guy. Oh, yeah. I think it just has Wait, more or no. less I don't think it's the same director, the way the film was shot, no. and like, kind of like how it's a goofy action. But there's a lot of stuff that's fun in this film. Like, the fight scenes are just hilarious. Like, they're completely one-sided. I love how it's almost like a spoof of, like, when we watch an action movie and the guys, the bad guys are shooting the good guys, but they always miss, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger film in this one, when they're all, you know, fighting and doing all the kung fu. The bad guys are just horrible at it, yet the good guys just completely kick their asses. So I thought that was really fun. And there was one particular scene I thought was hilarious when they take, they're trying to get the information out of the one guy so they put him in a barrel, shut that, put him in the back of a Mack truck, and they'd start driving the truck forward and backward, rolling the guy, knocking it out. So when they finally pull the guy out, and he once again says, I don't know anything, they're like, oh, sorry. And just <laughs> push him off to the side. So I thought that was fun. So uh, definitely I'm glad that it was brought up on the Facebook page. And Werner, I know some people making comments. I say keep posting what you're watching. If because it gives us conversation, something for me to dig my teeth into. And if somebody didn't say, hey, look, I'm watching the stabilizer, I may not have discovered it. So I look in that way. Afterward, watching that, though, I wanted to watch something serious. And I remember uh, William uh, mentioning he watched Trust, which I was curious about seeing. And after his pretty good review, I decided to rent that as well. And I absolutely loved the film. I thought it was Did excellent. Did you ever see that or was it me? Schwimmer, who, I mean, I'm a friend of him, but that, you know, I never really never Schwimmer saw it. Yet, I, any other role. Yeah, it was me, I kind of like him behind the camera more. Oh, yeah. I thought he had a great uh, knack for direction on this film, and I, I like the fact, and I'm not going to spoil it, but I like the fact that he handled it differently. This could have been kind of like a life, lifetime type of movie, which isn't completely negative. It still could have been all right. But once, you know, the girl, you know, meets the guy and all that, and after everything, you know, after being, you know, uh, assaulted, I guess I could say, um, she could have easily, they could have easily, he could have easily handled it in a way that, Everybody kind of hates this guy, but I kind of like the fact, and I hope I'm not spoiling anything here, and I don't think I am, that she kind of isn't. She still has she still has feelings for this guy, even though she was shocked at first. And unlike Clive Owen, who is absolutely her father, who is absolutely perfect in this role, who, you know, and obviously everybody else is angry, she still kind of thinks, oh, he loves me. And I think that was 
a bit better to handle that because it gave it more depth and I think it gave it a different outlook and it didn't feel because there are other films on this subject but this one I just felt felt more real and powerful and emotional on that and like I, and like you said Clive Owen's performance is magnificent so I also watched one more drama one that William just watched and I know um, or Sammy I'm not sorry not Will bleh, my, uh, Will for both I'm sorry it's early in the morning uh, <laughs> But he watched, and you know, both of you did watch, and that was beautiful. I had been meaning to watch this for oh, yeah. a long time, as I thought it was excellent. I just kept pushing it off. And I think it has to do with the fact that it's a drama, and a lot of times I tend to push those off because I want to get in the mood for it. After Sammy's review, though, I was like, all right, I have to see this. And it just hiked up to the top of my list for top ten films so far this year. Absolutely magnificent. Javier yeah. Bardem's performance is perfect. I agree with Will. He should have gotten it instead of Colin Firth for the Oscar, and I don't mean to not call him for his performance in King's Speech. Agreed. And after watching it, it gets better that way. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it actually made me choke up how strong it was. And, like, it's the whole, how would you deal with having cancer knowing you have these uh, these two kids that you love? And, obviously, they don't have the perfect home life. It's it's magnificent. And the two-and-a-half-hour runtime scared me a bit, too, which is why I think I pushed it off. But it felt like it only lasted maybe an hour and a half, which is a huge testament to any two-hour-plus film, in my opinion. Uh, so I absolutely love that, and I'm glad that you mentioned it again. It got me in the mood to watch it. Now, if you'll excuse me... Oh, and one more thing. Uh, don't Do not worry that you haven't gotten back for the interview yet. Uh, the fact that you guys are just taking the time out of your <laughs> wow, day... Wow, this is an old one. You posted that interview about four to six weeks ago. Uh, makes me completely <laughs> yeah. happy, and it's uh, a great honor. So take the, all the time in the world. And speaking of my site, I do now have to excuse you guys, as I unfortunately... Have to watch High School Musical oh, for my next movie, Nalia. So, mm. have a good one, gang. Bye. Yikes. Good old Justin. And Justin, thanks for popping in on our show recently in the last couple of weeks. Yes. I couldn't do the show. Appreciate that, buddy. He's become a really great member of our community, actually. Yes, he is. It's good to have nice. him aboard. So, that's all the time we have for feedback yes. this week. <laughs> so, uh, you want to get into the pleasantries and stuff? Yeah, and, all right. absolutely. Um, By the way, did you see what I picked for Diabolic the next the next month? Oh, man. I'm so <laughs> stoked, dude. I'm so stoked. It's going to be a New York trash show. Oh. It's going to be fantastic. I had to bring – well, I'll, just, I'll just hint. I had to bring the Daniel Green back. Yeah, and that was very nice. I've never seen that one, actually. Neither have I. So, so there we go. And I, I'm a big fan of the other one. I got them on VHS and DVD. So. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about – that should be part of a double deuce, but you know what? We'll just do the other one another time. I, yeah, I want to yeah, do we'll that one. Too. I want to do that. So I wanted the show to be a true GGTMC type show, and those two films scream it to me. They do. Absolutely, they do, man. No, good picks, man. Very good picks. I'm really excited about that. Um, I would say go to Horror Hound, but as I said last week, if I have a DeLorean, it's done for the year. Uh, uh, yes. Check out our sister shows, Silva and Gold, Show Show, OTC. Check out all of our friends from Palaver, over at Palaver. Uh, check out Hamacus uh, from our very dear friend, the Bryn. Uh, Cine Awesome, Paleo Cinema, Married with Clickers, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark, uh, V Cinema. Of course, you heard from Tom uh, for Better in the Dark fame. Mm-hmm. V Cinema, Podcast about Honor and Humanity, Criterion Cast, The Projection Booth, and shows from The Skeleton Closet. Yes. Um, we do a very good show, very girthy show, very lengthy show. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I've actually spoke to uh, Matt about that. They're going to try to scale it back. Not that good content, you want to scale back good content, but... You know, he's been spending um, 14, 15, 20 hours editing shows. And I said, dude, something, you know, you got to sort, you, you know, it's not worth yeah, it. He, man, you might want to call me up or something. We might need to get together. I can show you yeah. a bunch of shortcuts. 
Yeah, that's what I told them, and I gave them a few tips, and hopefully if that doesn't work, there's your, your next in, because they have such a passion for what they do that he wants to be perfect. I said, leave the ums and ahs in. I mean, you know, but anyway, I don't want to, that's a great show from two amazing guys that I've gotten really close with, actually. He just, uh, who's texting me now? My phone went. Okay. Um... Burr, 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 burr. What else do we got here? Uh, anyway, so yeah, intros from the skeleton closet. Uh, they recovered popcorn on the most recent episode. Uh, check out paracinema.net, nightmaretheater.blip.tv, weareyoungmonster.com. There's going to be a giveaway with those posters very soon. Yes, indeed. Uh, teleport-city.com, and then of course, these are all.blogspot.com, the GGTMC, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Dolls House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Fist of B-List, Playground of Doom, Scared Shiftless and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, Wax Mask, and then we have DeathRattle.net, TheLightningBugsLayer.com, CinemaSatori.wordpress.com. Check out DiabolicDVD.com, uh, CDB, that's Cinema-DE-Bazaar, all your hard-to-find genre needs. Promo code GENTLEMAN for 10% off your orders. OMG-Entertainment.com and GGTMC10 for 10% off your orders is the promo code there. And, of course, check out the Mighty Camera Obscura. Friend us all on Facebook. Join us all on Twitter.com backslash GGTMC, Large William. Pickle Loaf 10, uh, Rupert Pupkin, no, Bob Freelander, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Uncool Cat, and everyone else I'm forgetting, yeah. iTunes, we have a donate button. Again, we're still going to hopefully get the Kickstarter thing going. Now that we're getting a schedule going, maybe we can... Well, we're waiting to, I'm, I'm waiting until the beginning that. of the year. It's definitely not going to be out until the January, so... Exactly. So we get a little ways for that. Now, next week, have you given any thought to what we're covering? Because I have an idea. Okay. Uh, what's your idea? If, if scheduling permits on all the fronts... Uh, I'd like to propose something to you uh, that was proposed to us, and that is that we cover a, as I can hear children crying, a soft core Bigfoot film. Okay. Uh, that's going to be your choice? Well, I was going to say, if you want, we can do that and do an interview with the director. He's made himself available, if you like. Uh, well, that that will definitely be schedule permitting. But yeah, 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 if you're willing to do that, yeah. I think that he has, from what I've heard, because Uncool Cat edited this film. Yes, I do know that. Um, I think that he has said that he would make himself available. He's a fan of our show. He's got some great stories about Silva and Wink Souser. Okay. So we could do the film, and we could have an interview with him, and there is our episode. Maybe try to squeeze in a little more feedback, if time permits. Okay, let's do it. Okay, and I know you're a sucker for Bigfoot, and we're both suckers for softcore, so uh, combine <laughs> well, the two. I'm a huge sucker for Bigfoot softcore, so yeah, here we yes, go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. So uh, I think it. that's it. Yeah, that tells you how free and loose we're flowing nowadays, guys. We don't even know what we're doing next week. So. <laughs> and I didn't think about it until five seconds. Like, as I was saying, I was like, wait a second. This is about that time when we say what we're going to pick. All right. And then I think, you know, maybe we can get back into some program. For well, I mean, if, if we can't do that, if that doesn't work out, we can, you know, as always, we'll just you'll, you guys will get a show of some sort. Yeah, and I think we're trying to get, we're working towards us having a good good rhythm now with us being on together. So yep, yep. we're starting to get it down. I think we're starting to find our, our way again. Yes. All right. So with that, that is everything. And in true gentlemanly fashion, we bid you adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 